And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, an attorney and a partner at the law firm of Mauk and Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with regard to its legal needs. You can learn more about us by going to maukbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call 312-726-1243. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for news and info about faith and the law. We're back here for a second segment on a very, very important topic. At the center of American law, of Western law, in fact, is the idea that we're made in the image of God. And so today we're looking at how do some of the trends in society that regard the sanctity of human life, how, what do we do with them now? Um, there are so many things that seem unethical. If you're unsure how to respond to the normalization of abortion and the devaluing of human life in this current age, this is a show for you. Today we're back on the second segment um, we're here with Dr. Paige Comstack Cunningham, Executive Director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, a center of rigorous research, theological and conceptual analysis, and thoughtful engagement. Dr. Cunningham has published numerous articles, editorials, and chapters in the areas of law, bioethics, and public policy, and she has testified before Congress and state legislative committees with regard to human life. I first met Dr. Cunningham when she was an attorney working with Americans United for Life in the late 80s or the early 90s. Dr. Cunningham, welcome back to the show. Oh, Rich, I'm so glad to be back here with you. I'm looking at uh, where we were in this first segment. And for any of you, uh, go to our podcast and listen to part one if you haven't already heard it. We had ended there. We were talking about some of the trends that are happening in the United States uh, that Dr. Cunningham is following and, and that the center is com- uh, particularly concerned about. But this segment, I want to talk more about, well, as Christians, how do we deal with this change in technology that is taking place so rapidly? First of all, um, Dr. Cunningham, tell us a little again about the center what you're doing, and then let's look at what some of these changes are, and how as the body of Christ do we respond to this? The Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity is a bioethics research center at Trinity International University, and we operate in two general realms. One is the area of what we call the academy, or scholarly research, and we provide a vigorous defense of human dignity, and to defend that against the pressures from the broader bioethics establishment, which says that human dignity is something that's not really helpful or doesn't really matter. But the second part, and this is where it intersects with the church, is to help people live out what we believe about human dignity, to translate some of this more academic, geeky kind of stuff into tools that people can use to reflect on decisions that they make about wisely using medical technologies or other kinds of technologies. And uh, why this matters, why we should care, 
is because how we regard our bodies, how we respect them, says a lot about how we regard and respect the creator of our bodies. So I want to bring you back. So as Christians, what what do we believe about the body? What do we believe about this bioethics that we're involved in? Well, to use language that we're all kind of familiar with is that we believe that we are made in the image of God. Of course, you know that comes right out of the first chapter of Genesis. And it's not a statement of value so much as it is actually a statement of what I would call ontology or being. That it is a statement that we are made in the image of God. And then what does that mean? What that means is that we have intrinsic value. So it doesn't mean that we don't have value, but the statement itself is just God said you know, we are making humankind in our image, male and female. He created them. Because of that, we have value, infinite value, intrinsic value above any other created species. The rest of the created world is good, but there is something distinctive about human beings because we are made in God's image. And in our relationship with him, having been made in his image, I think that becomes a very important part as well. Absolutely. it's it's We have relationships on three levels. The vertical, of course, the creator with the creature. We have relationships with one another, which is where most bioethical questions come up. But we also have a relationship with the creation, with the natural order. We have responsibilities to care well for the creation, to use the resources that God has given us for the good of humankind, for our common good, and not just for personal aggrandizement or profit, you know, pure profit. You know, there's another part to this theologically that I think is so important. It's not just that we're made in the image of God, but it's because we're made, therefore we are not the creator, and we're subject to rules, um, limits, um, boundaries, because we're a creation, not the creator. And yet what I see in bioethics, and I'd like you to comment on this, is that it's the idea there is no creator except for we ourselves, and therefore we have no boundaries, no restraints, or any other obligations. How do you how do you respond to that? We're seeing that kind of impulse in a lot of the areas of tech, technological developments, and these intersect th- th- through a lot of different fields. But let me just give you a couple of examples. Before you do, yeah. let me cut in real quickly. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker from the law firm of Malkin Baker. Today, Dr. Paige Cunningham is with us to discuss bioethics and the church's involvement in the ethical dilemmas of the day. All right, I, I turn it back to you. All right. Well, I was going to give you a couple of examples. Uh, One is in the area of brain-based technologies, and I think we've mentioned those before, where we can enhance normal human beings beyond natural human limits. So this is not therapy where we're helping somebody who had some kind of a brain-based injury, but we're taking a healthy brain and trying to make it a super brain. So that's an example of pushing the boundaries of what we would call our creatureliness, how God God made us with certain limits. We're finite. Well, We're every, trying to push everybody's those boundaries. Everybody's going to want to do that. If you know, you want your kid to be the best kid. It, it seems like an impossible technology as we push those limits because everybody will want it. That's right. Nobody's willing to say no. Not everybody can have it. There is a, it is a finite pie, and it's an expensive pie. So we will increasingly widen the gap between the haves and the have-nots, the enhanced and the unenhanced. Um, that's just one example. We see it in the area of um, pharmaceuticals, where there are drugs that are developed for very serious um, behavioral or cognitive needs, but can be used in normal people to kind of push the boundaries. 
It used to be that the most abused college dr- drug in college was Ritalin That's for right. kids, you know, to study and get that short-term boost. They didn't need it, but it, it gave them an advantage. They'd stay up all night using Ritalin. I, I remember that. So, all right. So let's go back and let's tie this in with what the center is doing and how do we as Christians um, utilize the resources of the center? What are we supposed to be looking for? How can you help us? Well, let me tell you how we help people make wise decisions in two areas where we get the most questions, the beginning of life and the end of life, infertility and issues of, say, withdrawal of treatment, or, you know, do we try a certain treatment? You know, how long do we prolong the dying process? We have resources on our website. It's centerforbioethics.org. And we have links to other websites and resources at the bottom of every single page. So you can access a lot just through that main page. These resources are designed to be credible, comprehensive, and current, to give you um, ethical advice that you can rely on. Because even in some cases, if it's not theologically explicit, everything that we publish is theologically informed. And so we're giving um, ethical moral advice to help you work through difficult decisions. Because frankly, a lot of times we're making those decisions, there's a lot of emotional stress, but we may not be aware that there's some moral stress involved as well. Well, let's take it back for a second. You you have mentioned the time to be thinking about these things is not in the middle of the emergency, so to speak. Your mom's dying or, or um, you're infertile and, and all those issues are coming up. So, so how do people go about it? What, what, what are they going to do? Well, I would love for them to go to their pastor. Pastors need to know that their members are struggling with these issues, and that will also alert them that they need to figure out how to help them. We have a strategic priority to help pastors guide their congregations through these difficult issues. Pastors don't need to be the scientific experts, but they are the theological and shepherds. They are the guides for their congregation, and there are some very helpful tools that we have developed to equip pastors to walk through this process. But pastors don't know that their members are dealing with these issues if you never talk to your pastor. Most pastors say, I wish they had come to me sooner. They're usually involved in a mop-up operation rather than in helpful, God-given counsel. Well, I think there's two things going on here. Number one, what's the center doing for pastors? We are launching a pastor's initiative, and we're going to have a workshop designed just for pastors in connection with our conference in the summer of 2019 in June on end-of-life decisions. It's called Taking Care, Perspectives for the End of Life. And this will be for pastors to help them understand what happens at the end of life, what's going on in the ICU, how do you help people navigate these difficult decisions about should we turn off the ventilator, should we try something else? I would invite you to encourage your pastor to come. We're going to make it possible for any pastor who wants to come to be scholarshiped. And we want you to be there, connect with other pastors, and get resources, information that's really designed for you. I, I'm almost stunned as I hear this. This is so important. And I don't think our churches have been doing a very good job on this. Coming up, we will be talking further with Dr. Paige Cunningham about current issues relating to bioethics and what we can do to address them, and particularly what we as the body of Christ can. I'm Rich Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio.
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, partner of the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with Dr. Paige Cunningham of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. Uh, Dr. Cunningham, when we last talked before the break, you were talking about an initiative to help educate pastors so that they can talk to their congregations about these uh, very, very vital issues. Uh, give us a little bit more, and, and what about the layperson within the congregation as well? Well, let me talk about two other parts. One is uh, our initiative we're calling Bioethics Next. We're looking at what is next. And the second part, in addition to helping pastors, is to inspire young thinkers. And this is where I want to tap into congregations. We need to raise up the next generation of leaders in bioethics. As some of the founders have gone to be with the Lord, they are aging out and retiring. And it's like, who is going to take up these issues? Because they're getting more complex and there's more technology coming at us, you know, not every year, but every month and every week. So I want congregations to encourage their young students who are going into any of the STEM areas or medicine to be aware of the ethics. They may not go into bioethics professionally, but they need to be equipped to think about human dignity and to be courageous in defending it, whether it's in the hospital or in the laboratory where they're being pressured to do unethical things. It's interesting you mentioned that. I'm, I'm thinking of Google and all the things that are happening where anybody who doesn't hold the standard view uh, is either silenced or pushed out. Um, and certainly that's probably happening with regard to research, and that's probably happening in labs and in, in corporations as well. So how do you really equip them? What 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 will happen? Well, it's also in connection with our summer conference. I mentioned the workshop for pastors, and we encourage them to stay for the conference. We have a number of ways that young thinkers can get connected with one another because part of it is building a community and networking, meeting each other at the conference. We have scholarships to bring students to a conference. There's a student paper competition with the cash prize for the best essay. They can present a paper in what we call the parallel paper sessions. There are opportunities for them to get in there and start doing the work of thinking about and trying out ideas as a scholar while they can be networking with more experienced people. And those relationships can then launch them into places of influence that we can't predict now, but the Lord knows where they are. And meanwhile, what I would say to the congregation is pay attention. Pay attention to the news. Pay attention to the movies, to media. Bioethics is everywhere once you start knowing what these issues are. And pay attention to technology. It's invading every dimension, not only of our lives, but our thoughts and our brains. And we have yet to come to grips with the big change that has been happening culturally. You know, it's interesting you say that. I, I read in the Wall Street Journal uh, ah, maybe earlier this week, maybe it was Monday, about they're trying to bring back dodo birds and they're trying to bring back woolly mammoths now with genetic engineering. And uh, it just seems so far-fetched. I remember, what was it, Jurassic Park, where they, they had that scene oh, in there? Oh, there's a novel about what if we could access Jesus' DNA? What would happen if we could, you know, clone him? Well, <laughs> it, it's a pretty frightening thing, actually. There's, you know what? Here's the challenge that we face is with a lot of these technologies, their purposes are very good. And we can celebrate so much of what's going on. I mean, what's happening in modern medicine is we are so, we're all beneficiaries of that, but we have to be willing to say that every technology that has a good use can be abused and misused. And there's actually a lot of concern about this whole area called biohacking, where you can get in and tinker with the DNA. It's very easy to do, and they're worried about it getting into the hands of bioterrorists. So that's why I'm saying pay attention. It's not just about me and my family, but some of these things have a much broader 
cultural and eventually a global impact. Is there a way to cull the good and the bad, or is there sometimes the necessity just to say, no, that door should not be opened? It would be better to say no than to open the door. It is rare that we will do that. And I'm very concerned because doors to some things have been opened. And as you've mentioned with Google and the internet, it's you can't keep information contained the way it used to be. So that's kind of the downside of where we are going with some of these emerging technologies. You know, you have Silicon Valley is worried about artificial intelligence and yet machine-based learning can be really beneficial. So we need to be very astute as Christians. It means we have to do the hard work of reading and thinking and thinking theologically, not just about the taking of human life, but what does it mean to flourish as a human being? How does this technology actually, in a sense, enhance my humanity, or does it diminish me because it cuts me off from relationships with others, it cuts me off from God's world, it, it stirs in impulses that are directing me away from God? As you say that, I, I also just keep asking the question, what does it mean to be a human being? Are there, are there limits to who we are? Or are, are there no bounds and, and we keep enhancing ourselves and, and, and at some point, does that cease to be human? That's a question that I'm really wrestling with. You know, all this is in the Bible. We have the, in Genesis the, the, the account of the Tower of Babel trying to overcome natural limitations. We have the Psalms with, you know, people shaking their fist at God. You know, we have in the prophets, why did you make me this way? It seems like there's been this constant struggle between the creature and the creator to say, you made a mistake. I can do better. We want to make humans 2.0 because we think humans 1.0 is defective. But we as Christians know what it means to be content with who we are and that we flourish because we are content. We're not content because we flourish in our own mind and the way that we determine that flour what we define as flourishing. But we accept and rejoice in our limitations because it's our limitations that point us to the one who made us. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of the firm of Malkin Baker. We're speaking with Dr. Paige Cunningham about bioethics, why they matter, and what we as the body of Christ need to be doing about them. So we come back, and, and actually what you just said I don't think is a very popular statement in America today. Limits? What are those? And, and we can't fall behind... China or Britain or whatever in 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 technology. How did? What is your message as the center uh, with all this going on? Actually, knowing the limits gives you freedom. You know, in raising children, you know, children who have no fences, whether it's a playground with no fences or whether it's their home life that has no fences, those children are discontent and ill at ease, and they actually don't feel safe, and they they don't have a trusting environment. When we know what our limits are, we can flourish within those limits because we know that we can exercise our creative uh, powers, the, the creativity that God has given us for the benefit of others. We can exercise that to its God-given limits, and we know that we're going to flourish. It's when we start pressing the boundaries of human species, for example, with some aspects of human-animal hybrids, when we press the boundaries of what it means to be normal versus enhanced um, again, these are difficult questions. They're not easy to answer. So I can't give you black and white answers on most questions. But wrestling with that, I think, is part of our relationship with God, is wrestling with those hard questions and saying, God, where are the limits? Where do you sovereignly protect us? And where do you um, beneficently encourage us to explore? Because 
you know, ever since the garden, we have been in this process of exploration and development of this incredible universe. And we end in a city, not in another garden. We're ending in a place of great flourishing and great exploration. So even though we have to say no to so many technologies in bioethics, because frankly, there are a lot of them that are going off the rails, we're not really curmudgeons. We really do rejoice in all the good gifts that God has given us to um, explore and offer up to to others. Well, I'm, I have in my hand a, a book that the center has put out. It's called, Does God Need Our Help? Cloning, Assisted Suicide, and Other Challenges in Bioethics, The Vital Questions. Tell us a little bit about that book. And for uh, people who are interested in this topic, how could they get this? You know, that little book was put together by um, Dr. Ben Mitchell and Dr. John Kilner, two of the key people in the founding of the center. And it could almost fit in a little envelope. You could stick it in your purse. It's designed to be a very easy to read and credible walk through some of the key issues in bioethics. I would be happy to give a book if somebody will just cover the postage. Contact our center through the website at centerforbioethics.org and mention that you heard this on Lawyers for Jesus, and we'll make sure you get a copy. I want to give those away, and if you'll give one to your pastor, I will give you one for your pastor. I will give one to my pastor, by the way. I have two here, and, and one's going uh, to him right away. So in, in the remaining time that we have, what issues are Christians facing right now that you want to address and, and uh, help them with? Well, let me bring up one we haven't talked about yet, but it's one that I hear the most often because I work in the area of reproductive ethics, and that is the heartbreaking issue of infertility. Now, pastors are beginning to talk about it more, I think, because so many of them are walking through it themselves. But there are many, many families, many, I should say, couples who want to have children and grow their family who are struggling with infertility for a, a wide variety of reasons. There's not just a single contributing cause. And then the question is, how do we resolve that? And for a lot of couples, they end up getting into a, a path of going down the path of what we call assisted reproductive technologies, which usually involves in vitro fertilization. And they're not aware of all the decision points along the way that involve a moral choice. And so I, when I've sat down with pastors, as I just did very recently, and walked them through just the medical process and the different ethical choices, they're frankly stunned. This is the first time they've heard this information, um, including one pastor who he and his wife had actually gone through this, and he, he wasn't aware of these questions. So this is an area where I think the church has really missed the boat on educating people well. And the center can be a, a help in Absolutely. Come to our website. Give it's it a good to place me one to more started. time. Centerforbioethics.org. Okay. And we've been speaking with Dr. Paige Cunningham. Thank you for being with us today. This is the second part, so I encourage everyone to listen to both parts in this series with regard to bioethics. Go to mautbaker.com forward slash radio. If you have a legal need or a question and want a perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at MalkBaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Malkin Baker is a Christian law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. I'm Rich Baker, partner at the firm of Malkin Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Gonna have to save somebody. 
Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. 